Hi there, I'm Matt Housebarby. And I'm Jory Monroe. And this is Skill Up. Skill Up is a podcast sponsored by HubSpot Academy, all about the ever-changing landscape of marketing, sales, and customer service. From Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant to Siri and Cortana, voice assistants are becoming more and more popular. And while you might think that most people are using these devices for simple tasks like setting an alarm or putting together a grocery list, the fact is they're using voice for search. Comscore says that by 2020, half of all searches will be done by voice. This has huge implications for how content gets discovered and created. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the future of SEO and how to rank in a screenless future. If you could start any business in the world, seriously, any business, what would it be? In this day and age, it has never been easier to start a business, but it's never been more difficult for that business to succeed. That's where HubSpot Academy can help. HubSpot Academy offers engaging and informative classes that can help you skill up so you can grow your business. Go to hubspot.com slash skill up to check out trainings, certifications, community discussions, and much, much more. That's hubspot.com slash skill up and start learning today. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jory. Can you believe this is our very last episode? And we've covered a lot. I don't think I realized how much there was to know about SEO, plus how important it is to understand before you start writing content. Yeah, absolutely. And I am really glad I could help. (laughs) And we've covered a lot this season, right? Like, because we've learned that Matt loves spinach. He loves John Cena. But also that search is becoming more about intent. Right. Like we've learned about featured snippets, how to format SEO kind of optimization based on different types of content and also how we've gotten to where we were today with that history of SEO from last episode. Absolutely. And I think, honestly, my biggest takeaway from from this has been quite how terrible your attempt at a British accent is. That is a lie. (laughs) I don't even know and what that was. That was case <laughs> case in point. Case in point. <laughs> I believe. That was definitely not even remotely European. So yeah, I guess there's two. You got a pretty good pirate accent though, <laughs> yeah, in the sound right. of it. I could be on a Pirates of the Caribbean episode. So before I get all teary, we have one more important topic to talk about, and that's voice search. So let's start out by talking about scale here. Like how widespread is voice search today? No one uses it. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. No, not <laughs> the even, answer is none. Not okay. even worth talking about. It's pretty widespread right now. As I mentioned in the intro to the episode, in a recent report from Comscore, right, they, they predicted that 50% of all searches will be done via voice by the year 2020. It's only a couple of years away, right? So right. we're not far away from that at all. About 30% of searches will be done without a screen by 2020. That was a viral report in Media Post. And this is probably the most telling of all the stats that we're running through. One in five US adults today have access 
to a smart speaker. That's 20% of the adult population in the US actually have access to do some kind of interface with a voice assistant. That in itself is probably the the biggest blocker, right? Is is not having the access to the the search interface via voice. There's already huge adoption that's only growing. You can kind of see that with Amazon in itself already continuing to grow as a business, growing market share. One recent stat from the end of last year, I remember, is something like, I think it was just under 50% of all product-based searches, searches that end up with a purchase, start on Amazon. That shows you then the the dynamic of where those two are going to collide. So the scale is big. But, you know, before we get too much into the weeds of like the logistics and what this means, can you tell me a little bit about how voice search rankings are different from the typical search results that we've been talking about, about throughout the season? Yeah, well, one of the most obvious differences is there's usually only one result. And where you would previously have a list of, say, 10, 12, maybe 8 results on a page, albeit all different types of results, the element of choice rested much more firmly with the user. And even if you look at kind of the the evolution of the search results page that we've talked about in previous episodes in the series, it went from this very static, what we'd call 10 blue links, right? Just everything looked the same. There was no real difference other than just the titles and the meta description on the, the search results page. Then we started to see what we what we talked about in one of the early episodes, blended search results. Carousels coming in with news features, videos, images. These kind of things sway your decision-making as to what you may want to click on or have bigger real estate featured snippets, which we talked about in great detail. Then with voice, this is like taken to the next level. And you have very little to kind of pull your attention away. It's usually a single result. And one of the one of the reasons for that is voice searches are inherently different, at least right now. So one stat that I recently read about in an article in Search Engine Land. Is, the, is that a thing, or did, so, did you just like generalize? It's a magical place. <laughs> Search engine, Search engine land. land. Okay. Uh, no, it's a publication that's, funnily enough, all about SEO. Right <clears throat> up your alley. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Before I go to bed every night, it's just Search oh, Engine Land. Hop into Search Engine Land for a quick read. But the stat that I read in there is that voice searches are around 30 times more likely to be action queries than typed searches according to Google. So queries that require a action to be taken. For example, play this song, right? That's like one example of an action-based query. But these kind of queries also lend themselves to having fewer results. But it also kind of comes into some of the other types of queries where it's like, Where's the best place for me to go to lunch right now? And then you start getting into conversations with the voice assistant to give you one result. And that is where really like voice and the way rankings are displayed are very, very different. So you mentioned it's a lot of like action-based queries, but what industries in particular should be paying attention to this change in SEO? So there's two parts to this. One part is that we are still seeing this space evolve. Mm -hmm. And 
in all honesty, we still have relatively limited data. One of the reasons behind that is that Amazon are a big player in this space. And similarly with the fact that around 50% of all commercial queries start with an Amazon, we do not get access to that data. Amazon used to have a keyword tool that you could go in and have a look at. That got removed a long time ago. There's very little data sources coming from Amazon. Google, a bit easier, but we're still in the early days. There's no easy way to run these kind of search pattern tests, for lack of a better term, within Google's platform right now. That said, the other part of this, one thing we definitely are going to be seeing from an industry point of view is the local industry, local services and good space industries. So I use the example of restaurants being one. Something that happened probably around 2012, 2013 was Google's deeper focus on local services. And we saw the local map pack listing where you will see local services listed on Google's own service. That's Google My Business. It used to be Google uh, Google Local, Google Places, uh, that you then have very specific local results based on implicit search queries, which we talked a little bit about, which is where you are in that moment. The same thing with voice. I think that is the thing that is probably going to be the most interesting because one of the things that often happens with voice search on a local level is there are multiple layers to the query. So I could say, okay, Google or Alexa, whichever voice assistant that I'm using, my query is along the lines of, where's the best place to eat lunch right now? It's probably using Google as an example. The voice assistant can then come back to you with refinement queries, right? So it's like, what type of cuisine are you looking for? And then you answer. You, you haven't been given results yet. Previously, you would have to do this yourself. You would start with a broad query, realize, okay, I need to filter this down a bit, maybe click through a few links and then start searching deeper and deeper. You've maybe even gone into a listicle that lists a bunch of them or you've gone into something like Yelp. At this stage, you're not going into that. And it's like, does it need to be open now? Yes. Is it walking distance? Yes. You're refining and refining and refining to the point where Google serves you up one, maybe two options that you can choose from. But you've refined so much before seeing results that I think this element of searchability for local businesses that's going to come down probably to, in the same way web pages have a lot of markup data there, Google's already been experimenting within their assistant directory, being able to specifically categorize your content to be searched a bit easier based on some of these like refinement queries. We're going to see this kind of like tagging specific content for voice come in more and more. Right now, I think they have this in place for some news websites. So you can have like briefings and summaries. There's recipes, which is another big one that shows up so that you can search for low calorie dishes or you can search for things with spinach in and et cetera, et cetera. Never. Right? <laughs> Never. Things with Snickers in. Maybe. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there we go. And uh, alongside that, podcasts actually, funnily enough, is another one that mm -hmm. Google have been doubling down on. There was a recent article about Google doubling down in particular on podcasts as well. And I think this is a big piece for voice search. In, in fact, if you actually said into Alexa or Google right now, like play the Skill Up podcast, it will 
go and find the podcast. Fingers crossed. No, it it, it 100% (laughs) will. It will. (laughs) Cool. And it'll start pulling in that information from the web and playing this content. So Google's slowly starting to do a lot of this based on content types. Events, I think, again, will be another huge place. Anything that you can end in a point of booking or purchase. Like that's a, which are kind of intertwined, mm-hmm. but they're, they're the areas or, or parts of search that are going to be the f- affected the most in, in my mind. Because you're going to be able to do it all through the voice assistant. So in this kind of season, we've been talking a lot about Google search engine, but for instance, like when you, when you talk about these voice assistants, you have Alexa, you have Google Assistant, you have Siri and Cortana. Based in your experience, I don't know how much data there is on this right now, but do the like voice assistants serve up the same answer across the platforms? Or are we dealing with multiple cooks in the kitchen that could be serving up different answers? Very much the latter. <clears throat> in the same sense of different search engines serving up like the likes of Bing and Google. Bing. Uh, Yeah, Bing is a thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's a new jingle. Bing is a thing. Exactly. There we go. TM. Uh, Serving up different results. The same is the case with voice assistants. I would say, so if we go back to, let's say, 2008, right, and we had such a greater distribution of search engines that were active and had market share within the search engine space. You had the likes of Lycos, uh, AltaVista. Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves. What what a time to be alive that was, Ask Jeeves. Yahoo, Bing, Google, plus more, right? Each of them actually served very different results. And now we have pretty much a fight between Bing and Google, a very poor fight, to be honest, right now. But <clears throat> Fight, quotation marks. Yeah. However, on the voice side of things, Microsoft, and through Cortana, has a pretty substantial market share of voice searches going through their platform. Alexa is probably the most different, and in the exact same way that Amazon and their search engine operates compared to Google. Right. It's like very specific things. I have continuous, full-blown domestic arguments with Alexa in my <laughs> house. And uh, the primary reason being that I find that the Echo, should I say, is the, it's not anywhere near as good at non-action-based queries, like general stuff that you want to know, like informational queries about anything. It's not that great. Now, I have a feeling it's almost purposefully designed in a way that it just tries to keep its solution very focused to ultimately sharing your information with Amazon to influence purchasing decisions and also to really get you much more focused on adapting habits that result in a purchase. And this is a big difference because the Google Home is very, very different, right? Like using Google Assistant on your phone or using it via a smart speaker or or however you're doing, it's a lot better at informational queries because it's tapping into Google's search engine. So you're going to get huge differences. And I think the other thing that we're going to see is a general distribution of smart devices coming in and in particular, 
these walled gardens of search engines that are being developed specifically with certain use cases for voice. Amazon being the perfect example of that. And from a content producer's point of view, in the same way, I think the most similar thing right now is maybe creating content for a podcast, actually. There's like, there are a number of different platforms. Each of them have different requirements when you're submitting a podcast through to Google Play Store, to iTunes, into uh, Spotify, like all of these things you have to have different markup in an RSS feed. I think similar things are going to happen for Google Assistant. You have very specific tags that you're going to need to put in place. For Alexa, it's going to be very different. For Cortana, and as we see more and more into this space, and this is just voice, right? Like there's more after this, but it's going to create a lot more complexities because content creators are going to bear the burden of formatting for consumption on those platforms versus the other way around, which is happening right now to seed a lot of this, which happened in the early days of search engines as well. And then you throw Siri in the mix and it's kind of the wild west. <laughs> yes, it certainly is. And Siri uses, I believe, still Bing for a lot of its searches as well. So this is then when you start seeing other platforms using other platforms, and it's like, where is the information coming from? It then starts to go down layers and layers. So how do you see voice search changing what we see valuable in terms of engagement metrics? That is a very good question. And one thing I can say for sure is... The metrics are going to change and change and change and change as time develops in the, in the exact same way that as we start to see new mediums come up for things like video, Facebook offering a whole new way of analyzing video performance success, right, with like three-second views and things like that. But now... Are they more in the interest of the platform? That's to, to be decided. Same with podcasts. Are we looking at downloads? Are we looking at subscribers? Can we even get access to that information? The exact same is going to happen with voice. Like, what is a click nowadays? Like, how is someone consuming your content? Is that kind of classed as a web page visit if they're having content read out from... If they've never actually visited your page. Exactly, right? Like, how are we even going to start measuring that? Now, I believe that we're going to have analytics platforms that really cater towards this. I'm almost certain that Google Analytics will have, like, a whole suite built out for this and for things like AR and VR moving forward into the future. But the big thing that we're going to need to figure out very quickly as this becomes much more of an important part of the search landscape is what are these important metrics? And to be honest, I don't know this right now. I don't think many people really know right now because we just do not have access to enough data to determine, like, how do you understand the impact of being served as a answer to a voice query to then something further down in, in the funnel that influences a purchasing decision or or any other action that's taken outside of much more obvious like booking or purchasing stuff. Unfortunately, though, most of the purchasing stuff is being done through Amazon anyway. So there's other elements here when it's like, okay, if we start to see a huge, huge, huge shift towards voice, which we are seeing and we are likely going to see, and we see 
Amazon's Alexa voice assistant gain huge amounts of market share. Begs the question, what's the value of a website if you're selling products? Like, why, why have a website when you should just have an Amazon store? And this is when we get into an interesting kind of dilemma when we talk about a screenless future. The purpose of a website is to be browsed on a screen primarily, right? And with voice, that does start to shift that dynamic slightly. There's already with things like chatbots, I think the company is called Snap Travel. I may be wrong with this, but they are a travel booking app that is just a personal chat assistant. They run, I think, exclusively through WhatsApp and Messenger, but their web page is just a landing page. It's like they don't really have a website. Everything is done through a chat assistant in the same way that could easily be transitioned into voice, and I'm sure they're doing that at the moment. You do all your bookings, everything through the Messenger platform. The same thing happened when we uh, saw the birth of the Apple App Store, right? Like there are tons of apps out there that do not need a website. Their app is their website. That's their interface with the consumer. What is the interface of the consumer for voice? And that's what we're, we're going to figure out and is, is really interesting. And beyond voice, what are the next steps in interfacing with, with the customer? Interesting. So now that we've stumped you and you admit that you don't have an answer, this actually seems like a good time for a quick break. We'll be back with more after a message from HubSpot Academy. When I first started my career, I thought businesses could succeed by just having a presence online. All you have to do is post on social media, update your website, and schedule blog posts somewhat regularly. Easy, right? Wrong. Because publishing content without an SEO strategy can be a huge waste of time. That's why HubSpot Academy created an SEO training course taught by HubSpot's SEO expert, Matt Howells-Barbie, the host of this podcast. This course is great for beginners who are looking to create a smart SEO strategy, build links to their website, start blogging, and much, much more. Head over to hubspot.com slash skillupseo and start learning today. So welcome back, everyone. Okay, so before the break, we were talking about how voice search is changing what counts as engagement. But what about traffic? Can voice search drive visits to a brand site, or does that even matter anymore? Yeah, that's uh, an interesting question. We're starting to see a few things happening right now. So for Google Home, for example, it can answer a question with information for the web. It will actually cite the source of the information by just saying the website's name. Then it does like according to or like this is from and then says the website name. And sometimes it will send a link to the searches like Google Home app if they have it. There's actually also, you can see, I've seen this a lot for recipe queries where if you actually search in the web-based version of Google, when you're searching for a recipe, you can actually press send to Google Home and it will like send through to the Google Home app and you can then access it via Google Assistant afterwards. That said, it's not really driving visits. This is very, very different and certainly from... Alexa, you don't get that same thing. I believe Cortana operates in the same way as Google Home. Siri, if you've ever used Siri, it's a similar situation. There's 
I can't imagine that you're going to see a huge amount of clicks from when people get information sent to the Google Home app because people have already had their query resolved. Yeah, their questions answered. Right. And one of the things that we are seeing is kind of how featured snippets, which we talked about before, within the search results are, it looks like a lot of those are being pulled in and used in a similar way to, in the same way, into voice. Now, when featured snippets first started appearing and we had these quick answers being shown directly in the search results page, that Google is more often than not like breaking a website's terms of use by actually going through and scraping that information, albeit they'll say it's for the, the greatness of the web and they have such a monopoly on the web right now anyway on search that what are you going to do? In that respect, people were annoyed because it's like, well, now you're just pulling my information in, okay, crediting with a link, but I'm going to see potentially less visits maybe or more. We've talked a bit about that in the past, but now it's like even worse. It almost feels like it's for the unsuspecting consumer, this is just Google's answer from their content. And that's when things get a little bit dangerous from if we start to see a larger percentage of queries being asked through voice and delivered through voice, that if that does start to, and probably when it does start to eat into mobile searches and desktop searches, I still remember the days when people said, nobody will buy a TV on a mobile device. Nobody will book a holiday via a mobile device. Like They will only ever be done on desktop. They're too Now, it's like you, you will literally book every to, to book something on a desktop is such an inconvenience. I pretty much book any flight via a mobile device. Like it, regardless of value, it's there. And the same is going to happen with voice. We've we've seen history repeat itself time and time again. With adoption at the level it is right now, it's only going to grow. It's only going to become more and more important. And there should be genuine concerns for for brands in particular where you're focused on driving traffic to informational content. I mean, news websites as well. This is, it's it's pretty worrying if you're being funded by ad revenue that's delivered by impressions. That, that starts a whole new kind of dynamic for the news industry and the ad revenue generating content kind of landscape. So. The weather app industry is just going to tank. Um, <sighs> yeah. So, but do cloudy you think, times yeah. maybe for that for that industry. <laughs> but do you? Oh my god. Um, <laughs> but do you think that actually, like, there is something to be said? So you mentioned that featured snippets might be what's kind of getting pulled into these voice assistants. So do you think there is something to be said though about going after featured snippets so that you're more likely to be featured by voice assistants so that you get at least some level of attribution and awareness? I think so. It, it comes to the question of like, do you either want to not be there at all or do you want to have a chance of at least being there? Like if the, this is not a choice of a trade-off. This is a shift in consumer demand, right? This is like the blockbuster situation of digital streaming and versus physical DVDs and videos, right? Like Blockbuster, infamously now, chose the choice that digital streaming would not happen and they would rather not be there 
than be there and and lose. And that was their downfall because the illusion was that it was their choice that they could control. This was a consumer shift. The same is happening with search. This is not about whether you are deciding that you want to either have that show on voice or on mobile or desktop, some kind of screen, right? This is that you will either be there where your consumers are or you will not be there. I think a prudent choice right now is at least to be still focused on doing the same things you would do to rank in featured snippets for a screen-based search engine, if that's what we want to call it, in the same way that you would do getting like fringe benefits off the back of that for voice as well. So I would say certainly that is the right approach to be taking. So to kind of shift gears a little bit, let's talk about Amazon and how the Echo device is changing how people shop. So how do you think voice is going to change purchasing decisions in particular? Yeah, I talked a little bit at the start of the episode, right? Mm-hmm. Like Amazon, uh, I think the, the f- it's around 50% that of all product-based search queries start within Amazon's platform. That's not Amazon Alexa, that is just Amazon.com or all of their different web properties. That's a huge amount. Now, what they're trying to do with Alexa is they're trying to build a moat around retail and, and commerce. What they're doing is saying, okay, cool, get this, buy an Echo and an Echo Dot and hook it up to your smart lighting, hook it up to your sonar speakers, hook it up to Spotify, embed it as a fundamental part of your daily life. That is actually my daily life right now. It's the ultimate in convenience, right? Same as most of these other voice assistants. And it is ingrained into everything that you do. The trade-off here is that you are also facilitating the almost unlimited supply of data into Amazon that is intrusive in ways we've never felt before, but also most people don't even realize. Like A lot of people don't realize, for example, that... Amazon Alexa records literally all the time. Every single piece of conversation that you ever have, anytime you're around it, if that is plugged into the wall, it's recording because how else can it respond to Alexa, right? Like these simple things are then being used by Amazon to inform purchase decisions. They are now able to say what happens before a purchase We think about Google and desktop search. Actually, let's just think about a brand. You're a brand and you have an e-commerce store. A purchase is made. One of the first things that you want to do when you try to understand why that purchase is made, you say, what was the thing that happened before that? The thing that before that was, okay, they landed on this page on our website. You go, hmm, interesting. That page possibly holds some kind of value from a conversion point of view. Let's break it down and understand what we did really well about it. And you say, what happened before that? And you say, okay, well, they came from Google search or they came from Facebook. And if it's Google search, you may say, okay, now let's dig a little deeper into Google search console and see like, what queries were they searching for to get there? What's the intent behind them? And then if you say, what happened before that? Well, I don't know. The closest you could ascertain from that is, was it a mobile search, which you could get? So I guess they picked up their cell phone and or their tablet. And you can tell maybe their operating system they were using a little bit more than that. But that's it. Now what can happen is something that's unprecedented. Like it's never been able to happen before. And that is literally 
what happened before. What happened the moment before, the day before, the week before, the year before, this entire kind of like tapestry of information that Amazon can now use to say, well, we know, I don't know if you've heard, Jory, that the, it was like one of my favorite stories ever of like marketing automation and for lack of a better term, big data and, and things like that, where Target predicted that a, I think it was like a teenage girl was pregnant before even her before her father and before she knew. So based on some of her purchasing trends on their loyalty card that was unrelated to pregnancy-related items, they used like training algorithms to say, okay, when someone eventually goes and starts buying their like diapers and the baby food, like what did they do before that? Pickles and ice cream pickles, every time. <laughs> pickles and ice cream, right? <laughs> uh, and and they they were able to ascertain. Okay, this this is a this is a common run up of events. Now we're gonna send some promotions for kind of baby stuff, right? Like this was with just a loyalty card system. It was like the the original part of this. And Amazon has been building this absolute powerhouse of personalization. Voice now completely changes the game. It's so intrusive. It can understand deeply, like not only pre-purchase, but post-purchase. And in a lot of times, especially with tech, not only could Amazon and Google and co hear what you think about the product, but that product can be connected then in some cases. You buy a new set of speakers, right? You connect them to Alexa. Uh, you buy some lighting for your house, it's connected to Alexa. You can see usage. All of this information is gonna not just change how people shop, it's gonna fundamentally change the way that the web and how commerce works, and more importantly, creates huge barriers to entry and centralized bodies that own purchasing behavior, i.e. Amazon, Google eventually doing more along those lines. Facebook will 100% start seeing more and more come into this. Messenger has been a big player in this space in the sense that in the terms of use of Messenger, as soon as you download the app, it has the right to access your microphone at any time. It's like the all of these things are happening. Siri, like Apple has this, and they're, they're just creating this giant warehouse of data that they can use nefariously or for the greater good of the world. I think the fact that Jeff Bezos makes something like, I don't know, I think it's something along the lines of like $30,000 a second, probably indicative of the, the motives there. Definitely. Um, so... That's why, first of all, you need to read the privacy policies, guys, everyone. G GDPR, GDPR. Uh, statement coming in. Yeah. <laughs> the Europeans are protecting themselves. <laughs> We're here so, to save you all exactly. and email your inbox. So read the fine print. But something that you had mentioned a little earlier, I kind of want to dig into a little bit more, and that's advertising. So you, you have like these massive storehouses if we can call them that, of um, storage units, I don't know, of, <laughs> of data. And that oftentimes we see the cloud. <laughs> the cloud. We see that like affecting right now just like algorithms on, on things like Facebook. So how does advertising really fit into this? Or will it fit into this whole world of voice search? I think advertising 
in one way, shape, or form, whether that is in the form of influencing purchasing behavior, however that may be, will almost certainly be involved in voice. In fact, it almost certainly is already, just not in the way that we understand it. But like to kind of take a step back, you think about any platform that has data as its huge asset to fuel advertising, Facebook, right? Like a lot of people think as a user of Facebook, you are a customer of Facebook. You are not a customer of Facebook, you are the product. And your data, your behavior, your engagements, that everything that you do day to day that you serve to Facebook enhances the Facebook product, which is you and the combined sum of everyone else that's a user on there to be used to sell advertising real estate. And this is exactly what the likes of Amazon, Google, et cetera, will be doing. Google will be using this information to further add more data, more personalization, abilities to target individuals on a much more refined level, whether that's through voice or whether that's through desktop and mobile search. It doesn't really matter, and any other platform. As we start to think more and more about connected devices and IoT, Internet of Things, right? Like, there's going to be ways where this data is not just siloed into like Google uses its voice search data and its desktop search data together. They are using all of that. They're stitching this together. They're using their ad platform data. They're using any website that has the Google Analytics tracking script on it. All of that data. In the same respect, when you connect your smart fridge to Alexa, you give up the the right to, well, you basically give them the right to disclose that this is the time that you eat, right? Like, this is potentially how much you eat, and these are the products that you like. This is when your fridge is empty, so you're probably going to need to go buy some products. What a perfect time to start layering in some information on how to purchase kind of the the kind of things that you like. Amazon, if I don't know if anyone's used these. I actually haven't ever used these. I haven't known anyone that's used the uh, the dash buttons that no. Amazon did. Yeah, well apparently loads of people use these. If used uh, to me. <laughs> right, if if any for for you listening right now if you if you haven't seen the dash buttons before, if you have the Amazon app open it, it's the you basically for any product that you regulate order, so let's say it was like, I don't know, protein powder or food or anything that's like a like batteries, things that you have a repeat purchase, and laundry detergent. Yeah, exactly. Cool. You can have a button delivered to you so that whenever you press the button, a new order is made for that product. That's what the dash buttons were. So you could have like a tied button on your washing machine, right? So you just press it and it's ordered a new one. Like they apparently lots of people use those. They've kind of become redundant with voice now, but like it's the same idea. But now Amazon does not need the button, nor does it need you to tell Amazon which buttons you want because it has your washing machine now, right? And like this is the difference. This is the 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 cut down and the disintermediation of devices to get to the point of purchase. I feel like those buttons would have been really dangerous had I ever noticed them. I just like prank my friends by going and clicking their buttons. Like, yeah. why do I have three liters of laundry detergent? I don't know. Why do um, I have a million Snickers? Exactly. On my <laughs> um, so, where should I start if I want to start experimenting with ranking in voice search results? Yeah, I think as we've kind of alluded to a little bit, it's it's still early days. One one good kind of 
study per se that I that I've read that I did think was pretty good was from Brian Dean at Backlinko. Um, someone who has been in the search industry for a long time. I know Brian really well, and he he put together a study around a bunch of different voice queries and started to try and pull together some correlation in what was ranking and why they were ranking. A few things that stood out which aren't too dissimilar to, in particular, mobile search. I think that's where voice has a lot of its similarities is, okay, with desktop, yes, but in particular mobile, because a lot of mobile search is tailored towards convenience, speed, and people that are either on the move or want information that has concision prioritized. So one big piece here is, okay, really fast loading pages were appearing pretty quickly in in voice search. It's kind of a no-brainer, right? Like if Google is trying to access information really quickly, should load really quickly, and that's going to be a big bonus point. The other big thing was... I think Brian found around like 41% of voice search results came from featured snippets. Talked a little about that earlier. And alongside this, coming back to a previous episode, right? Like Google still relies heavily on authoritative domains as and that and that has not changed, that I don't believe will change. That all comes down to those wonderful backlinks. And I think still being seen as an authoritative, credible source of information is going to be key to ranking within voice search. I think the best advice when it comes to content formatting is going to be tailoring in the same way as how we discussed tailoring for featured snippets, concise information, keeping directly responding to like a conversational query within the article or piece of content that you're creating, as if you're tailoring it in a way that Google or Alexa or Siri or Cortana would actually read out. I think another one that, this is just uh, another pull quote from Brian's study, was uh, that HTTPS is another big thing. That, I think, is a no, no-brainer. no We would probably say nowadays, like, HTTPS is just a staple part of any site. You should just, you, if you're not HTTPS, secure site yet, you, you should be actually having that uh, implemented on your site right now as default. And just for context, what is HTTPS? So HTTPS uh, is uh, secure search. So most websites going back, say, five years ago, uh, maybe even less, most of them did not run on HTTPS. They just run on HTTP. And in short, without getting into technical information here, it just means that you have a secure certificate. It helps secure the web, secure data, ensure that the website that you are visiting is verified and reduces potential like phishing attacks and hacking attacks. So it's really simple. Anywhere where you have purchased your web hosting or even now like your domain name, you can buy really cheap and I think even a company called Let's Encrypt, I think that's the word, uh, the company, does free HTTPS certificates. There are like varying levels. You'll the, the easiest way to see if a website is using HTTPS is okay. One, it will have that at the start of the the URL, but also there'll be a little green padlock in the search bar that says secure after it, and you'll be able to see that. Versus in red, not secure. So <laughs> let's let's. 
create a safer web for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay. funny that you say that, right? Because actually, in the start of 2018, and starting to see this a lot more now, is Google Chrome by default. If you do not have a HTTPS website, it will show up now, not even just in the search bar. It will show where the page is. Instead of showing the page, it will show up. Uh, you may be visiting insecure content. Do you want to proceed? Click here. That's like a huge blocker. And chances are, if I'm a visitor and I see that, nope, don't want to go there. Yeah, Click absolutely back. <laughs> not. Like- awesome. So as we move towards this screenless future that we've been discussing, where do you think that we're headed? Yeah, this is this is something that I do enjoy thinking about, and we could go down a giant rabbit hole here, so I'll try and stay on track. <laughs> but this is something that we've alluded to when we talked a little bit about data and giving off data. But if we look at the evolution of search over the past 20 years, the thing that has fundamentally changed is the interface through which we search. And that is the thing that is going to change. We've went from desktop search and having desktop PCs to then laptop PCs and search didn't really change at all to then mobile. And everything started to change in multiple ways. So the way people search started to change. The ways in which information was served was changed, the search results pages changed, but also we started to see whole different kinds of ecosystems that would pop up to be searched within. We saw the birth of the App Store and iTunes, and they became search engines in themselves. Apps like the Amazon app, right? Like it has a huge amount of search volume running through it, and that's all outside of what we kind of typically think of as a search engine, but that's exactly what it is. Facebook itself has a huge built-in search engine. Likewise, with Twitter and all of the other social media networks that have came before it and continue to exist nowadays. Those right? social people. Oh, social. <laughs> <laughs> right? And then now we start to see voice. The next thing, like the, the, the key thing here is like things have got smaller, the interface got smaller, smaller, removed, the, the interface now is not visual. It's something that we, we listen to. That, I believe, now will start to be built upon, and it will become visual again in some way, shape, or form, but through an experience. So what without getting too minority report here, we're, we're starting to see a lot more in terms of augmented reality, virtual reality. We've seen Google Glass, albeit probably the least cool looking thing in the world. Uh, <laughs> that tanks. <laughs> Snap, Snapchat spectacles, like, okay, say what you like about them. Like it's another element where augmented reality is being built into products. And what this also involves is gestures, right? Like Google Glass, Google then has the the optics of being able to see your eye movements and even implementing gestures based on the way you look. What that tells Google is emotion. And you see with like the iPhone X, right? Like you have face unlocking, the ability where things like Snapchat really pioneered a lot of the facial recognition stuff that, okay, they put together like fun emoji-like based applications for it, but 
this kind of technology was dreamed about by TV advertisers going back like a couple of decades where they would be able to see people's emotional responses to the things they created. This is here. This is now. And search will be changing more and more and more that strips down the interface and changes the interface. And the content that has to be created for that and the definition of what content is will change dramatically. Now, the thing to always remember with all of this, the trade-off within every